1: Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook coming to you from the drive, Hubler.com studios. Colts camp well underway out at Grand Park. And we're fortunate enough to be joined by Colts starting left tackle. Bernard Ryman joins the Fan Midday Show, about to enter year number two as an Indianapolis Colt. Bernard, how goes it after another day at Colts camp?
2: Hey, um, you know, we're just having fun out here, getting better every day. And, you know, having fans out here, it's a blast, um, spending some time with them right now um, after practice is over and it's just uh, it's just a good time out here.
1: I want to start with a question that we began earlier this week with your teammate tight end Cox and that was kind of a more fun lighthearted question of what type of music that he's into but his answer when we asked him where the like heavy metal or country music taste lied on the team was on the offensive line. Is, is that an accurate statement, or, or where, where do your musical tastes lie, Bernard?
2: Um, yeah, I have, to, I have to agree with that. <laughs> I, mean, I think we're all pretty similar in that. Um, we like listening to country music. Um, but then, you know, when it comes to a workout time or, you know, getting a lift in, then it's usually time for some heavy metal, some <laughs> rock, um, trying to, you know, get the heart rate going a little bit. Well, he made it.
1: He made it seem like it's good that you guys have a separate meeting rooms because he he didn't get down that way with that kind of music. He's more of a future fan himself.
2: <laughs> hey, that's that's okay. We all we all different in that way, but um, we make it work. You know,
1: this is year two for you, Bernard Ryman. Nice enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. I, I know that there was a lot of at least behind or in the public eye, a lot of chaos a year ago with coaching changes and quarterback changes on the fly. As you look back at your expectations for yourself in year one, you couldn't have anticipated any of that, but but where were your expectations and goals last year?
2: I mean, the expectations obviously every year is um, to start and be the best possible version for the team. And then as a team, obviously make it to the Super Bowl. And then the way that the year turned out just was something that obviously no one anticipated. It was um, a lot of chaos and um, it was tough. But, you know, I've had some um, amazing teammates and coaches to lean on and uh, help me, you know, transition into the NFL. And then also with everything going on last year, you know, um, helped me keep my head up and just, you know, um, keep getting better. So I'm um, excited to show it this year.
1: The offensive line has been criticized over the last couple of years, and, and I imagine as a rookie wanting to prove yourself in the NFL a year ago, you, you probably tuned that out, but, but to some extent, all that chatter is around when the team is struggling. For you, I felt like personally you really hit your stride in the back half of last season, particularly those last couple of games. Did you feel the same way, and how do you build off of that? How have you built off of that this offseason?
2: I mean yeah it's it's obviously a transition going from college to the NFL um, it's a lot of you know players just flying around everything's a lot faster every player is a lot stronger and um, you know you, you get used to it and then with each game you kind of um, you work on your own mistakes from the from the week prior and then at the same time you also gain confidence and I think that also showed on the football field and I um, in the same way, it just you know kept working every day in the off season, um tried to get better every day. And yeah, and I think I'm, it really shows in the football field now.
1: Who have you leaned on the most through the last twelve to, to twenty four months to this process of coming out of central Michigan to getting an opportunity to be a starter last year and now retaining that job? Who, who have you leaned on the most from either an offensive line perspective or just a coaching perspective overall?
2: I mean, I really have to point out the veterans in our O-line room. I mean, Brayden, Ryan, Q, they are all obviously great players, but they're also really great people. And they really help me a lot, um, you know, um, with different problems, with uh, mistakes I've made, and they help me um, fix those mistakes. They help me with their techniques and their advice and how they've overcome those um, mistakes or setbacks and i think you know those guys really made a made a huge difference for me
1: for you from a a confidence standpoint and from a development standpoint how were you impacted at all by, by the coaching changes and, and the quarterback changes
2: that happened last year um i mean obviously it's it's different but at the same time um, every year is different so uh, you know you're just making the most out of of, out of each opportunity and the mission still stayed the same. I mean, um, you know, mission is to win the Super Bowl, and that's all that matters. So, um, for me personally, I'm just trying to be the best version of myself for the team, and you know, help us to get help us get there. So, um, I guess the mission didn't really change, but obviously, coaches and stuff have a little bit of a different approach. But, um, you know, great coaches. Heading
1: into your second season, a new head coach in Shane Steichen. What have the conversations been like with him, and what has been the overall vibe specifically for your offensive line room with his philosophy and how he wants to build things along this offensive
2: line? Yeah, I mean, Coach Steichen has been great. Um, you can tell that he he loves football. He, you know, um, he knows so much about it. He's sitting in every single offensive meeting that he can, and every time we install a new play, he always has like two or three more tips and pointers about that play just because he knows the game so well and um, you can just tell he's obsessed with, with the game and studying the game and getting better himself and it just makes it that much more fun for us players to follow a guy like him and and for the offensive line too, I mean um, with Coach Sperano um, he's, a, he's a great coach, great leader um, he's really trying to you know get the best out of us and I, I think he's been doing a great job with that. And, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great year.
1: You bring up Tony Sperano Jr., and he's a name that a lot of Colts fans are excited about what he was able to do in New York and the opportunity for him to revitalize and help further develop you guys on the offensive line. What was Tony's initial messaging to you when, when he first took the job, when he first had those initial meetings, and how have you guys come along to this point in training camp?
2: I mean... His message always stayed the same. I mean, he was new to the room, and um, he told us right away he was going to treat everyone the same. Um, there's no such thing as guaranteed starter. And so we all had to, just, you know, put the work in this offseason and prove ourselves over and over again. And that continues um, right now during, during fall camp. And But, yeah, at the same time, also, he is encouraging us, you know, to, to be ourselves and to play into our strengths. And, yeah, so he, he, he's challenging us, but then at the same time, he's also rewarding us if we do things right. And um, he's the first one to point out that, you know, if a play does go well, that who's, you know, who was the reason for that? And um, we, we kind of build off of that too. Indianapolis
1: Colts starting left tackle, Bernard Ryman, nice enough to take some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Bernard, for those of us that are never going to have the task of having to block 300-pound opponents that are coming at his full speed, I imagine that is a, a a unique task that's asked of you when you're helping block two different styles of quarterback. I know it's very early in camp, but does your approach change at all with Minshew and Richardson both having unique styles of play in the pocket?
2: Um, I mean, not really. Either way, you know, you're trying to keep the pocket clean. You're, you're trying to protect the quarterback. And um, you are just playing to the end of the whistle. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have a quarterback that likes to roll out or that one or someone that prefers to stay in the pocket. Either way, you gotta, um, you know, finish your block, finish your play, and make sure that uh, your defensive lineman doesn't even touch the quarterback. And that just, you know, stays the same regardless of who's back there.
1: Now, Bernard, my days of putting on muscle are, are over, and that's probably a, a sad take on life considering I'm only 28 years old. But all that said, uh, I understand that you've put on some muscle this offseason and, and trying to continue to bulk up as you work into year two. What has that been like for for you from that transition process in terms of trying to add on more muscle and focus on that portion of your development so it translates to more on the field success?
2: Yeah, obviously, I mean, I uh, put on some weight, and it, it helps a ton out on the football field. Um, you know, it makes me feel a lot more comfortable. It, it it makes settling down on the ball rush a lot easier. It makes the, the run blocking easier. And, yeah, so I think overall it's just, it just helped me a lot. And, um, you know, grateful for the good food that my wife's been cooking <laughs> for me it's all season. So um, that's been great. And, yeah, so I'm just going to keep keep doing what I'm doing. Well,
1: what's the what's the best dish that Mrs. Ryman cooks up? Well, can you can, can you share with us a little bit of the of maybe not the recipe, but just what are we working with this off season?
2: Oh, um, you know a lot of, you know, um, different like chicken recipes, like chicken and sausage, sausage okay. like uh, pasta and stuff. But um, overall, like more on the healthier side. Um, you know, nothing too greasy. But um, I mean, from the from pasta to um, you know, uh, chicken. It's, it's really pretty much everything.
1: Are, are, you, are you a fast food guy at all for like a cheat day? And if so, do you have a go to spot?
2: No. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to stay away, but I am a big Chick fil A guy. Yes. And <laughs> so I really sometimes I can't stay away, especially on like road trips or something. But I'm trying my best to, you know, eat at home. It's it's healthier and cheaper, so it's trying to do that.
1: Man, I feel you. The Chick Fil A call is is a serious thing. We're just joking with my my producer Eddie Garris. And we're gonna go get some uh, a little bit later here today. So I I feel you on that. Last thing before oh oh actually Chick Fil A sauce or no.
2: Oh yeah. Okay, absolutely. good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a non-starter for me. I just want to make sure you were the same camp. Last question before we get you out of here, Bernard Ryman starting left tackle for your Indianapolis Colts. Take us time with us here on the fan midday show. I know Austria in terms of closeness to Germany is about the closest you'll get for relatives or family members. And I'm sure they're all very hyped about that matchup in November against New England. Uh, How many ticket requests have you gotten since that matchup went and how many family members and friends do you anticipate being out there for you when the Colts take on the Patriots?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I've gotten quite a lot, Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, Talking to the um, ops guys here, and we're still trying to figure out how many tickets I can get. Um, but, you know, the most important thing is for my parents and my, my grandma to come. Um, so we'll definitely get the tickets for them. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see who, who else can make it.
1: That's really cool, Bernard. Well, congratulations again on the development you'll be able to have this offseason. Again, the stride you hit last year. And best of luck as the season gets closer and closer, okay? Thank you so much. That is Bernard Ryman, starting left tackle for your
3: Indianapolis Colts. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: The action continues, not just here in the DriveHuber.com studios, but also out at Grand Park in Westfield for Colts training camp. Never a dull moment on this beat. That could be the joke that you would have made had nothing happened at camp today, and it was just the John and Taylor saga. But, of course, it would not be a proper day at Colts camp if there wasn't more nuggets, more drama, more chaos. Who better to handle the drama and the chaos than our next guest, the frequent appearance maker here on the Fan Midday Show. He's the Colts beat writer and sports editor for the Herald Bulletin. He is one George Bremmer. You can follow him on Twitter at GMBremmer.
4: George, how are you doing today? Doing well. Never a dull moment exactly right.
1: <laughs> How's your foot? How are you doing? You okay? Any, any Anything to report on your front? Any sunburns? Yeah.
4: Uh, it looks a little bit. A little bit of sunburn. A little bit of windburn, you know. Nice breeze <laughs> came in late in practice. I think that that picked us all up.
1: Hey, that's good. I feel you on that, particularly here in Indiana. Anytime you get that just hidden breeze that pops up, especially out there at Colts Camp, I'm sure it is very welcomed. When you look at what's happened today, let's start first with the news that broke at the beginning of our show, maybe an hour before that with DeForest Buckner. Correct me if I'm wrong, but just from following your timeline on Twitter, I believe that happened when you were out there. Uh, what did you see from that play? I'm not going to make it be a doctor, but take us through what that happened with the foot injury of Buckner and the fact that he was helped out, walked on his own power, but with his trainer by his side.
4: Yeah, you know he left field for a little while. Obviously, never came back into team drills. I think it was I think it was a good sign that they didn't take him out of pads. He stayed out there. He didn't go back into practice, but he was still you know, out there on the field and he was in full pads. Uh, I think that's a good sign. Although I've been around long enough to know that, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter. Guy looks perfectly fine and you're like, yeah, that's good. And then, you know, an hour later, here comes a press release that they've torn a ACL and they're done. They're just built different. They don't react to pain the way you and I do. So sometimes you can't really tell. But I think in Buckner's case in particular, if his foot's attached, I assume he's going to play eventually. I mean, he's, he's just that guy. He plays through everything. He deals with everything. Uh, but because it can't be a day without you know some kind of five alarm fire, now we've got to figure out what what's going on with his foot.
1: <laughs> I don't envy you, George. I don't. I I, <laughs> I don't envy you whatsoever. There's been a line of conversation every year around this time of player safety and where is the line? And coaches have addressed this too. Of that's just football and. That, that's an injury that could be prevented. Not what happened to DeForest Buckner. I just mean large-scale. Where, where do you feel the dialogue is in today's NFL, both from a media standpoint and from team personnel standpoint, of have we reached a spot where they've done pretty much all they can in terms of player protection or injury prevention as much as you can in training camp?
4: I think it's sort of like with racing. I don't think you ever get to the point where you're, you've done everything possible. You know, I, I think you're always trying to push just find that next piece of technology, that next drill, that next exercise, whatever you can, you know, to make it better. Um, I know a ton of time goes into it. And I think Shane Sikin in particular, uh, you know, the entire camp schedule from how long practices are to when they're scheduled is built around trying to make sure that these guys are ramped up the right way. You know, they did red zone work day one because they didn't want them running long distances on that first day back. But at the same time, it's a sport that's just inherently dangerous, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Is, is you're out there. I, I always go back to Vic Ballard because it's one of the more tragic things that I saw. You know, he, we're out there at Anderson at the time, and he's just catching drills, it, catching the ball, it, routes versus air. And his knee turns the wrong way, and, you know, he's done. Pretty much his Colts career was over at that point. I, that's football, unfortunately. But I think you're never going to stop trying to, you know, push that next, whatever it may be a new piece of equipment, a new idea about how to train, a new idea about how to practice. You know, I, I think it's an ongoing process uh, and I think it's something that Shane in particular takes really seriously. And they've been fairly fortunate. Cross your fingers. They've been fairly fortunate this year. There's a couple guys out. But I think Buckner's probably the first one that really makes people kind of catch their breath a little bit. Usually, six practices in the camp, that's that's already happened.
1: I'm going to take you on a lighter note, George, that I, I, I tightrope walked earlier, so I apologize for bringing you on this with me as well. Um, but have you seen the story about Lolita, the orca whale? Jim Irsey's involvement in that did that happen across your timeline today?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's before Buckner's foot. I think that was the story of the day.
1: <laughs> where, where, where is the? I'm trying to put myself in Jonathan Taylor's shoes because I'm an animal lover. I think a lot of people are. I think if I had the money to do what Jim Irsey can do and the snap of his fingers, I would go ahead and do it. But the number of dollars that he spends here is suspiciously close to the range of what, you know, a star running back might want from his owner. I know you haven't talked to him, but if we're playing the, I'm going to play Jonathan Taylor for a day, what's your mindset when that is what is dominating the sports headlines prior to the DeForest Buckner injury?
4: The optics are are definitely not good. (laughs) There's no question about that. But that, I mean, you can say about training camps as it started, right? I think the optics here from day one, have not been. Good. They're out the window. Uh, Nobody cares. Nobody cares about optics. Absolutely terrible. Uh, but you know, if I'm John Taylor, it's certainly not making my, my day any brighter. I don't think I'm I'm laughing about it as I scroll through Twitter or, you know, whatever he might be doing, wherever he's finding this news. Uh, but at the end of the day, also, it's something that was actually set up like two years ago. Yeah. So right, I think that's right. important, too. Uh, and also, I kind of compare it to, like, my my daughter, you know, she wants a candy bar. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, it's 8 o'clock at night, I need you to go to sleep. I've got the money, I'm not going to give you that candy bar. But then later, you know, but you bought a new car. They're not the same. You know what I mean? We're not dealing with the same budget here. It's not the same reasoning. I think there's a little bit of that going on here as well.
1: I will say, though, and I think we could both agree, I've seen the the alleged reported numbers. I don't know how much I believe, but... If it is a sixteen to twenty million dollar range for Jonathan Taylor, slightly closer than the candy bar to the car, but you're right. The analogy does remain the same. I don't disagree with you.
4: <laughs> no, and it's you know it's just a tough spot to be in. Yeah. I think you know, obviously yeah. if if you Jonathan Taylor, all of these things, you know, I, I think that's just another probably area here where he's you know a little slighted. I, I don't him. I think the the problem you have right now is you have got the team sitting there saying we want to see more. We want to see that you're healthy. We want to see how you fit in this offense. you know. Before we commit to a long-term deal, we want to see more. And if you're Jonathan Taylor, you're like, open up the the franchise record book, and, and you'll see what you need to see. So I, they're both dug in right now very much in their stances. And you know, it'll be interesting to see how or if at all this, this gets resolved.
1: When you look at the timeline we're on right now and the countdown to week one quickly approaching – does the vibe around the team change if he does hold out? And here's my reasoning on that. Because right now, you get it. He he is your your brother, your teammate. He's fighting for what he thinks is his. And I, I applaud him for that because you should as a player. You should do everything you can to maximize your situation. But if I am in the front lines with him or if I am out there on the gridiron with him and we're getting our teeth caved in, by the time week three or four rolls around, you look and you think, "Man, we could really use him." He still has a year under his contract. I feel like that's where things could could start to dwindle or, or cave in in terms of how this is viewed internally. It, am I crazy for that? Is that just a, a, a bridge that we'll cross? When we get to it. How, how do you view that?
4: You no, know, I, I see it kind of the same way. I think right now I, I kind of call this selfish season in the NFL. Not that it totally is, but when you're in training camp right now, everybody there's not any guys here, and they all have some personal goal they're trying to reach. Some of them are just trying to make the team. Some are trying to be starters for the first time. Some of them maybe want to make a Pro Bowl for the first time, or or you want to be defensive player of the year or MVP or whatever it may be. But you've got your own personal agenda, and you got 90 guys who have that personal agenda right now. And as you get closer to the season and roles start to develop, and and these guys meet their personal goals, then you start looking at the team. And I think that's kind of the situation way it is right now. It's easy for them. You hear guy after guy coming into the tent you know, after practice and say, we're not focused on that, we're, we're focused on our job. But I think it's 100% true. Right now, they're about trying to get through this practice, catch a coach's eye, get done whatever they want to get done. But as you get closer to September 10th, it's going to be more and more about beating the Jacksonville Jaguars, trying to make the playoffs, trying to turn around from last year. I think at that point is when the whole Taylor situation becomes an distraction for the team.
1: George Bremer with us, Colts beat writer and sports editor for the Herald Bulletin. We talked about optics and how everybody's just thrown them out the window that's involved with these Jonathan Taylor negotiations, and it's clear that they aren't coming back anytime soon. The angle that I looked at, though, before the years-old but resurfaced Orca Whale story came about was, what happens if Jim Say slash Chris Ballard extend another Colt on this team? And of course, at this point, based on the comments today, I'm referring to Michael Pittman Jr. We'll get into how he's playing this in a second, but from an optics standpoint, my gut tells me, yeah, as a general manager, you can't worry about it. You want to take care of your most important pieces, and even though it might send a very negative message, if you can agree to terms on somebody like Michael Pittman Jr., that's fair to the team, fair to the player, and the position he plays, maybe you do it. From your side of things, from an optics standpoint, how do things change if a deal is done with Michael Pittman Jr., either before the season starts or before something comes to pass with John and Taylor?
4: Yeah, I think in a normal year where you're not dealing with the circus like, like it is right now, it would be all positive. Because it would be like, well, you got that one out of the way, and I can just focus on Taylor, and you've got the franchise tag opened up, and you, you know, it makes it easier going down. Obviously, anytime you've got two deals to do, it's harder than any time you've got one, but I think given the situation now, given the trade request, given you know the social media back and forth, the, the elementary school food food fight that seems to be going on out here right now, it would just be to me it would just be another knife in you know in, in John Taylor's back from his perspective. You know, if you, if you look at that and you say, well, this guy's in my draft class, uh, we're both in the same situation. Why don't they need to see more from him? Why is he getting a deal? Why am I not? I think that's a natural human reaction, right? Um, and so it's just funny to me because I think it's the, the the boat that they put themselves in. Any other time, any other period in franchise history, all of it would be positive. All would be good. Hey, got that one taken care of. Let's move on to the next one. Because of the situation they're in right now, probably just inflame things even more. But I agree with you. If you're Chris Ballard, you can't worry about that. You know, you've got to take care of what whatever you can do uh, to, to get a player that you want to keep around in here. You've you got to do it, no matter how it might look, you know, to, to the running back or to, to anybody on the outside.
1: You mentioned if it was a normal year and I would argue that if it was a normal year, the way Michael Pittman Jr. is playing this is the way that he should play it. But that's not a mark to say that Jonathan Taylor is playing this wrong. It's a clear differentiator of the two positions that they play. Michael Pittman Jr. knows that he plays a position where they are going to back out the the Brinks truck regardless if he's a Colt or if he's a free agent. As you look at that, And how Michael Pittman Jr. has handled things, that's the playbook for him to follow, regardless of the situation with Jonathan Taylor, correct, is just to be as, hey, if it happens, it happens, I'm here to play, I'd like it, but that's out of my hands. The way he's playing it, I would argue, is as good as anybody could have in a normal year or in a year where you have another player in your class that is fighting for the same thing.
4: Absolutely. And I think it comes to the crux of the problem, like you said. I mean, the, the biggest difference between Michael Pittman joking with us there in the media tent and saying, you know, sure, I, I, I'd like an extension if they want to give me one, uh, and being out here every day and, and being a big part of practice, and Jonathan Taylor, you know, being on PUP and, and, and not obviously not being a happy man right now, uh, Pittman knows if he has a great year, if he goes out there and, and he has the kind of season he's capable of, and he looks like he works with this new quarterback and he fits in this offense, he's either going to get paid by this team or by one of the 31 other teams. I think the problem for the running backs right now is there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. They're just being promised, go out there, give us your all, do the best you can, and then we'll see what we can do for you. And it's a hard sell. You know, and it's, it's just sort of... The difference right now, I, I think the lesson is even whales have better negotiating positions <laughs> right now than running backs
1: do. Uh, w- w- the other pathway is that well, you know if you're Jonathan Taylor, you either need to be a you know owner of or a uh, if he could change himself into a legendary piece of music memorabilia or turn himself into a Orca, he might be uh, in better stance to be able to get himself a contract negotiation. It, it really is a circus. You just never know what is going to happen out of Colts training camp, George Bremer with us of the Herald Bulletin. For me, I have a hard time going back and forth of how much blame I put on Jonathan Taylor and how much blame I put on first round management and the information that presumably Jonathan Taylor is getting of guidance from said representation for how he should handle all this. How do you balance that? Because on the one hand, I think it's clear that his representation doesn't either know what they're doing, or as I mentioned at the start of the show, is waiting for Dana White to bring out Jim Mersey and then to have a weigh in later today. Like I, I don't know why both these parties are going guns a-blazing here, but I don't think it's the right pathway. But also Jonathan Taylor decided to go with this representation and is following the advice. So so where's the balancing act there of of who deserves more blame? Not with Jim Irsay, but with what Jonathan Taylor and his stance has changed over the last six months.
4: Yeah, I know. There's no question. It feels like they're waiting to settle this in the octagon, which, which is not going to happen. Uh, you know, I, It felt like a Hail Mary on Taylor's part, to be honest. Knowing, okay, looking around, look, this market's depressed, tougher running back to get money. I'm going to go with the guy that got Shaq the big deal and, and, and see if you know he can rattle some trees and, and make this work. Um, Obviously, it's not going well. Uh, You're sitting here now six days, six practices into training camp, more than a week into training camp. uh, And and it's hard to imagine going worse, honestly. It's hard to imagine them being in a situation worse than they are right now, both him and the team. I think part of the problem is both sides have legitimate arguments. You know, the the Colts are saying, look, running backs are not well paid in this league. We're not going to break the market. We want to make sure you're healthy. We want to see, you know, how you fit in this new offense. And, and then we can talk. But if you're Jonathan Taylor, you're saying, I've given you three years. Two of them were very good. Last year was injury-prone. Uh, but I, I've made my case. You should know what I am by now. And I think I feel like, no one said this, but I feel like Marlon Mack is hanging over all this as well. When Jonathan Taylor's a rookie, he comes in, and Marlon Mack's in front of him, and they're telling Marlon Mack, hey, go out there, have a great year. You and Jonathan Taylor will split the carries, and then you'll get paid, either here or somewhere. You know, you'll, you'll get your reward. And the first half of the first game of the regular season, he tears his Achilles tendon. He's only played in 14 games since then. If I'm Jonathan Taylor, just a human, I, he's not said this. Just from a human standpoint, that is very much on my mind as I'm getting into the same situation, going into the same situation. I, I don't know how he doesn't think about that.
1: Clarify for me if you have. Heard any numbers or heard about what Jonathan Taylor wants or not? If you haven't, then we'll just speculate on it. But but have you heard anything in terms of where the biggest point of contention is right now with JT and his group?
4: I haven't heard anything like that's concrete. You know, there's whispers out there, like you were saying. You hear the sixteen to twenty million dollar range. It's easy enough to look at the the market and, and look at Christian McCaffrey at the top, and you assume most guys like Jonathan Taylor who have a case to be made that they're the best player at their position when their contract comes up, that's the money they want. So I've not heard that in any kind of concrete way, but it's easy to believe that they would at least be looking at, at Christian McCaffrey's number.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's at the top of the market in a lot of those levels, including guaranteed run, guaranteed money, and I know that that complicates things to some extent because those are two elements that are very prevalent in contract negotiations, especially when you bring the Marlon Mack thing into it of... That's something I've seen firsthand, a running back getting hurt that was promised money. Maybe it's a guaranteed money issue. Who knows? But let's just say, for the sake of the discussion, that it is a money thing. This is clearly not a, oh, well, all the Colts need to do is just offer $13 million a year for like three or four years, and it'll work out. Because to me, that'd be about Derrick Henry money. That's about the type of running back that he is at his best is, is in the conversation with Derrick Henry at the time, again, Henry had an injury, ironically enough, that year too, but at the time of best running back in the National Football League. That that makes sense to me with what he does as a back, as a traditional running back. It's clearly not a $13 million evaluation from his agent as to why there's no wiggle room here, correct? Like, it has to be more than that.
4: Yeah, you feel like if it was that simple, it'd be done, right? Like if they yeah. could just look at that because Nick Chubb's what twelve million. So if you go into that twelve, thirteen million dollar range, maybe bump it up to fourteen to to make it like you won the negotiations. I think if it was that simple, it'd already be done. That, but yeah, I don't have any concrete, yeah, uh, you know, sources telling me that. But just yeah, common sense uh, seems like it it would be over already if that was the ballpark that they were talking.
1: Let's switch to some positive news, at least from Colts fans' side of things. George Bremer with us, covers the Colts for the Herald Bulletin. Nice enough to take some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Anthony Richardson, another consecutive day, getting all of those first team reps. I mentioned before we had you on that it's not an indication that, oh, he's going to win rookie of the year. or Oh, he's progressing to a way that he's definitively a franchise quarterback. But it can also be a good sign in terms of the progress the coaching staff has seen. How far are you jumping ahead with two straight days of full team reps? And where do you see this on the road to a potential week one start? Also, what'd you hear from Shane Steichen today?
4: Yeah, Shane was trying to to, to pump the brakes a little bit, which I think they're gonna do. You know, I think that's one of the things that that they're really interested right now in making sure they're not putting too much hype around the number four overall pick. There's enough pressure on his shoulders. They don't want to add to that in any way they can. And Shane basically said, Well, he missed Monday. So we're kind of giving them the extra day to work it out. But at the end of the day, there's been six practices, and three of them, including the last two in succession, Anthony Richardson's got all the first-team reps. And two of them, Gardner Minshew got all the first-team reps, and in one of them they split. So I think you know the, the trend – I'm not great at math. That's why I became a sports writer. The trend here is going towards the rookie. Uh, and I think, to me, that's kind of what you expected to see, him try to earn it and come through. The biggest thing to me right now is what you're hearing from his teammates, whether it's Michael Pittman, whether it's Alec Pierce today, Quentin Nelson a little bit later than those two kept saying his presence in the huddle, even from the spring till now, you can see a real marked difference. His comfort level with the the plays and with calling them and running them is just improving on a daily basis. I think the most important thing for him, even more than the coaches, obviously has to win over the coaches. You're not going to start if the coaches not have trust in you. But I think the most important thing is getting that trust from his teammates. And I think every offensive coach is watching that right now. And every indication we have right now is that that trust is building day by day by day. Now, obviously, Gardner Minshew is a more polished guy. He's been in the league for four years. He's been in the system now. This will be his third year with Shane Steichen. He obviously is a more polished guy. He's a little bit further ahead right now. If the teammates though are feeling a similar comfort level with Anthony Richardson, to me, that's a win for the rookie.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: What has stood out the most to you at training camp to this point? Non-injury, non-contract drama situation.
4: Yeah, there are some other things going on. It doesn't seem like it some <laughs> days. but There are some other... Storylines. Um, Daryl Baker, I think, has been a, a really interesting. He, he's one of those guys that, in a normal year, he'd be a big story. Not that, again, not that he's on his way to Canton or anything like that. But you're talking about an undrafted guy who's got his feet wet last year on special teams, given an opportunity here to compete for a starting role at corner. Uh, Juju Bruntz has not been out there, which is, I think, is a little bit concerning at this point. They keep saying he's close, he's going to get back there, but for a rookie. Six practices in. He hasn't taken the field yet. Baker's taking advantage of it almost every day. He had an interception today early on against Richardson. He's had some really good reps against Michael Pittman, some really good reps against Alec Pierce. I think he's just a guy. It's that classic summer story of a guy that that maybe isn't on anybody's radar who's taking advantage of his opportunities. Uh, And I think it'd be a much bigger story if, you know, we weren't dealing with whales and running backs and everything else.
1: All we need is Tigers and Bears, and we'd be we'd be going someplace for certain. Uh, a weird segue with that last phrase, but it is what it is. Speaking of the Bears, you mentioned where our lines will be to know where the quarterback situation is going, if it'll be Minshew, if it'll be Richardson. And of course, we're, we're just tea leaving here, but when you went into camp, where did you personally set, okay, this is what I'm going to look for is th- this is a serious indication that there's movement at the quarterback position, whether it's going to be Richardson or Minshew versus what you'll set for joint practices and what you'll set for the preseason games themselves.
4: I feel like it's one of those situations. I honestly, it's going to go right up to week one because there's no reason for it not to, even if they make a decision internally, there's no reason for them to let anybody know uh, until that, that opener against Jacksonville. But I think there's checkpoints along the way. And I think the, the first interesting one is going to be, you know, August 12th, who starts that game against Buffalo? Not an indication necessarily of who's going to be there, but it does feel like, to me, that's who's ahead right now in the scorebooks, right? I mean, whoever goes out there with the first team against the Bills is at that moment the guy that Shane Sykin's leaning toward. And then I think they're lucky. They've got multipliers, if you want to call them that. These joint practices with the Bears and the Eagles are worth way more than, than what we've seen so far in camp. They're going to have three of those. I think that's... They're going to get so much information from those three practices to have a better feel for where Anthony Richardson is than they would if it's just the three preseason preseason games and your regular training camp practice.
1: Last thing for you before we let you go. This is going to be my question to, I think beat writers from now until the Jonathan Taylor situation either reaches an ending or it ends up with a contract extension or it ends up with him not playing week one. Either way, James Boyd has been in here a number of times. Thus he's going to be back in here tomorrow. We give him a hard time about all the requests he gets in his mentions for Anthony Richardson video or, oh, why didn't you put that highlight clip in there? I know there's limits to what you can and can't film at camp, but what has been the dominant area of your mentions the last couple of weeks? Is it far and away Jonathan Taylor or is it still, hey, we are so, we need some more Anthony Richardson fix, please. Come on, come on, give it to us.
4: It's probably 70% Jonathan Taylor. Okay and then maybe 20% Richardson, and 10% everybody else. I there are two storylines right now as as far as the fans are concerned, and one of them is is dominant.
1: Well, good on you for keeping your head on straight through all of this. And uh, don't forget, not only is the sunscreen important, we talked about your injury report to start things, but don't be afraid to go to the aloe if you need to. There's no shame in it. No shame in it at all, George.
4: Yeah, I may have to look to the trainers here <laughs> at some point, make sure I'm staying in there, but hey, so far, so good.
1: Give him a thumbs up, and, and we'll know you're all right. Thank you, George.
4: Thanks a lot. Anytime.
1: That is George Bremer, covers the Colts, as well as the sports editor over there at the Herald Bulletin. You can follow him on Twitter at GM Bremmer.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook coming to you from the drivehubler.com studios. As we mentioned, Colts Camp wrapped up just a few hours ago. Still no updates on DeForest Buckner having injured his foot during practice. Shane Steichen had mentioned that and clarified on the injury, but he was able to get up on his own accord with the assistance of the training staff. But again, no updates on that front. And then Michael Pittman Jr., of course, gave his comments to the media regarding where he stands on a potential contract extension. Jonathan Taylor, of course, the biggest storyline. The other piece on the horizon is joint practices with the Colts and the Bears. We'll cover that, plus some Cubs love as well, with one of our favorites. He's David Kaplan of ESPN One Thousand. In Chicago. David, thanks so much for making some time for us. Always appreciate talking with you, Cap. And as you look and zoom out outside of this, with where the running back situation has gone, let's just start broadly. Not with John and Taylor, but broadly. Is there any solution for running backs in the NFL? Or is it just wait till 2030 and, and see what happens?
0: You know, I think that you look at where the running back position is, it's still vitally important. They just don't want to pay these dudes. That that's just a fact. They want to use them up, and usually the running back has been the most dominant player at a skill position growing up, so they always get ridden hard, and they don't want to let them get to a second contract, which is disappointing to me. It really is, because I think guys like Jonathan Taylor and some of these other players are really good players. They have to understand, though, this is the way the game is today. The game is much more through the air than on the ground, even though you still have to be able to run the football to win. If You can't run. You cannot win in the National Football League. So I, I don't know how you solve this unless you give them bigger money earlier in their career. But, you know, Isaiah Pacheco's is a seventh-round pick. <laughs> You're not going to give him huge money early. Yeah, for every Bijan Robinson and Saquon Barkley, there's 30 guys that are running the ball that are not picked in the top two rounds. So I don't know how you fix this.
1: Cap, in that same vein of how much the league has changed, I'm sure you saw this and you lived it when it happened, but there was a piece on The Athletic a couple days ago where Matt Forte talked about his experiences in Chicago versus the stuff that he referenced Saquon specifically because unlike Taylor, he's actually on a tag year. JT still has one more year on his contract. But just in that span of 12 years How drastic has this situation changed compared to what Forte dealt with and ultimately got a deal done with the Bears to where we're at now?
0: Uh, Again, as we, Jimmy, start to see more and more emphasis on the vertical passing game with Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow and hopefully someday Justin Fields here in Chicago, that's going to de-emphasize how much you want to spend on your running back. But if you really look back in history – when Mike Shanahan was the head coach in Denver, he developed this zone concept blocking system, and he had a six-round pick named Terrell Davis who ends up going to the Hall of Fame. So there are a lot of teams that say, I'm going to put my money into a great offensive line, a great quarterback, some really good receivers, and I get stick Jimmy Cook back there. <laughs> and if I'm blocking well enough, I can do enough in the run game. Do I agree with that philosophy all the time? No. I do think there are certain guys, the kid Nick Chubb, who's just so good and so dominant. Saquon Barkley, so good, so dominant. And your guy, Jonathan Taylor, so good. But they better be realistic. And if he sits out, I'm not saying he will or won't, but if he did, he's insane. You'll never get the money back. I remember talking to the late Todd Bell. He sat out the 85 Bears season. He didn't like what they offered, so he sat out. And before he passed away, he said to me, biggest mistake ever. I could never recoup the money. I missed out on the Super Bowl run, and it will haunt me forever.
1: Kev, I, I asked this last week. We had Charles McDonald, who covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. I asked him this question. I want to get your take on it as well. You mentioned that throughout time, there's been instances of players holding out of a number of different positions, but the most notable at the running back spot that's often cited is Le'Veon Bell in 2018. We've had a CBA since then, the 2020 CBA that was agreed upon with all the time and effort that's spent trying to get that done, both from the Players Association and and the owners how much blame if any goes on the players association for not having the foresight to see what was already a a contentious issue within running backs at the time.
0: Well, some of it's got to go on them. They signed off on this. You know, people think, boy, those cruel owners, they're really taking advantage. No, they're not. You guys signed the deal. You overwhelmingly approved it. So if they didn't like the deal, then they shouldn't have signed the deal. But they did. So they can't complain now. Um, Look, guys like Derrick Henry, they got their money. He was such a vital part of that team that they basically don't have a team without Derrick Henry when they went to the playoffs the last couple years. This Jonathan Taylor situation is unfortunate. He's a hell of a football player. But guess what? If he sits out... He's going to look back when they go, God, I left millions of dollars on the table.
1: If we were instead having these same conversations around the Bears, let's just say, and while I, too, enjoy the philanthropy side of things and reading those good stories, but if, let's just say, $20 million was attached to the McCaskey family to help move an orca whale cross-country when the running back in town is looking at 16 to $20 million, reportedly, uh, potentially for his contract negotiations, how would that sit in Chicago? Would it be a nothing story? Would it be as chaotic and just it's another circus move? What would be the takeaways there?
0: People would would side with the team. And no running back's going to get 16 to $20 million. Yep. It's not going to happen. And when Saquon comes into camp and takes 11 Jonathan Taylor is, again, I hear only good things about him as a person. He's a hell of a football player. That's a fact. The bottom line is, no running backs getting that kind of money. Just not going to happen. Not going to happen at all. So uh, he, I don't know how you, I don't know how you resolve it. I really don't. He's going to have to. He's going to have to absolutely just decide. I got to play. I got to play. I got to get my money and show up
1: the fact that the fact that it appears cap that he wants a market setting type of market resetting type of contract that's also a big element in my mind why even if ursay says he's not trading him why there might not be significant interest from other teams because even if you make the argument okay we get him on a one-year rental uh, the colts aren't going to give him away for peanuts it's a it's a lose-lose situation for him is it not Yeah, the
0: why would the Colts do that? I mean, no one's calling and giving you a high first-round pick for him. No one's giving you a second-round pick for a one-year commitment from a running back. Like, the Bears have two number-one picks. I keep seeing the Chicago Bears will be the team that's most interested in – I can promise you, promise you, Ryan Poles is not doing that. Absolutely not going to do it. That's not who he is. He is salivating – to be able to use his two picks and be able to uh, look at his team and go, you know what, I was able to get a new quarterback if he has to, an edge rusher, maybe Marvin Harrison. That's what he's looking at. He is not giving a high pickup to get Jonathan Taylor, and I don't think anyone in the league is.
1: David Kaplan of ESPN 1000, nice enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. I, I want to get to where Bears are at, where Justin Fields are at, and the countdown to joint practices with the Colts and the Bears in just a second. But if you're following David Kaplan on Twitter, which you should be, you've seen the recaps, and there's been highs and lows for the recaps of the Chicago Cubs. But a lot of highs recently. Uh, you'll forgive my producer, Eddie Garrison. He's a big Reds fan, so it's come at their expense the last couple he of nights. Be shell-shocked right now. <laughs> Eddie, do you want to share how you were last night? Uh, I was just disappointed with that, whatever that performance was. like, <laughs> Pretty sure a 13-year-old well, travel team could have played better than that.
0: Well, explain to me how you have this really good athletic young team, and you don't add on at the deadline, Sam Maul notwithstanding. How do you not go get some type of a start? That team's talented enough if they had more pitching. In this National League, if I told you last year, that the Atlanta Braves were going to get knocked out in round one, you wouldn't have believed me. And they did. Gone. And all of a sudden, the team that no one thought was going to get there, the Phillies, who fired their manager, Joe Girardi, my dear friend, all of a sudden, they're in the World Series, one heartbeat from winning a world championship. The Reds are talented enough to do that. They are, if they had more pitching. Yeah, I I, I could not believe You didn't push your chips
1: in. Yeah, I don't understand why they didn't go out for starting pitching either. I don't know how you can rely on Luke Weaver and Ben Lively to be your fourth and fifth starting pitcher in the postseason if you make it there.
0: And now Lively's on the injured
1: list. Yeah, that's just code for I suck, and we're (laughs) going to put you on the injured list now. (laughs) Yeah, I don't get it.
0: I really don't.
1: Do you get the turnaround for the Cubs? Because I'll be honest, it surprised me. It took me only two and a half back now. Cap, we don't need to chastise me for being a Yankees fan, but yeah, I was hoping Cody Bellinger was going to be headed to the Bronx, and that was never the case, and now it's a turnaround season for the Cubs. Two and a half back. What's the biggest attribution in your mind, for those that haven't seen the recaps on Twitter?
0: Uh, They've been outstanding offensively, but they built the best defensive team in the National League, and that's, Without question, the best defensive team in the National League. And I argued this with so many people at the start of the year. They're not that good defensively. Well, hold on a second. If Cody Bellinger is at first, which he's been doing a lot of, he's a gold glove defender. Nico Horner was a gold glove finalist. Dansby Swanson won a gold glove. Okay, we weren't great at third. Candelario makes us a hell of a lot better. Ian Happ won a gold glove. Talkman is no slouch out there and say Suzuki's a plus defender. And then we have a catcher, Gomes, who's a gold glove caliber defender, and Barnhart, who won a gold glove. So all of a sudden, people are looking and going, wow. If the Cubs can put any type of offense together and just be decent pitching, they're going to catch what you hit. So it's interesting to see how the perspective on the Cubs has changed as their offense has gotten better. I'm not telling you they're going to win the division. I'm not telling you they're going to win the World Series. I'm telling you they're a way better team than anyone gave them credit for.
1: And you mentioned that you saw that to start the year. And and to borrow from, from my Yankees for just a second, the prevailing thought in New York is that, well, look at all the hitters that they have that are having career lows. Eventually, they'll turn it around. As you mentioned, maybe the Cubs weren't as on point right out of the gate as you thought they would be, but now they're showing that they are the team that you envisioned they'd be to start the year. Is this a true corner turn, and is it sustainable in your mind as we enter the final month or so of the regular season?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to score like this. I know they have 50% more runs scored since the uh, All-Star break than anyone in baseball. 50% more. Like, that's not sustainable. It just isn't. They're not going to go out tonight, I don't think, and bludgeon the Reds again for another, you know, 20, 16, whatever. Maybe I'll be surprised. The weather's warm. The ball's flying at Wrigley. But they have got to address their starting pitching. And there's nowhere to turn other than in your system now. That means like tonight. and Tyone has thrown the ball really well his last five starts. He has got to go out and make that his last six starts. He has to pitch really well. The bullpen's been much better. And then they got to continue to do what they're doing. And that is grind their at-bats get into the soft part of a team's bullpen. The Reds have had to turn to their catcher, their backup catcher, two days in a row. That bullpen's beleaguered. Well, if you can find a way to keep them in the ballpark and not allow them to get a lead and get comfortable, the Cubs have a chance to take three out of four in the series. And when they get up tomorrow morning, they're going to be two games out in the division and I believe one and a half in the wild card.
1: David Kaplan with us. You can follow him on Twitter at the Catman. Of course, you can hear him. Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 a.m. on ESPN 1000 with Cap and Jay Hood. And, of course, get the recap on YouTube as well as those posts corresponding with it on Twitter. Cap, let's go to the Bears. My producer, Eddie, had shared with me that a couple of sportsbooks are reporting the handle they're getting on Justin Fields to win the MVP this year is higher than what they're getting right now on the likes of Mahomes, on Herbert, and on Allen. From your standpoint, Is that the expectation for Fields? Is it MVP-like season? Or is it he is a starter? He's a consistent starter. He's proven it. Where's your line for him this year?
0: So I was at practice yesterday. And by the way, that stat that Eddie was referring to, so there was a sports book that reported they have more tickets on Justin Fields to win MVP than Herbert Mahomes and Allen combined. Mm. Combined. (laughs) I was at practice yesterday, and... And I'm a Justin Fields guy. But I will tell you that's the worst offensive practice I've seen in my 25 years covering this team. Man. They were horrible yesterday. Horrible. And I, I'm not with everybody else that he can win the MVP this year. I think he's a good football player, and I think he's got to take steps and prove that he's the guy this year or they're going to move on. they got two number one picks. If Carolina's pick is high – or the Bears have a bad year and their pick's high, they're going to move on. I'm telling you. That would be stunning to people who are betting him to win MVP. Now, I think he can take that next step. I don't think the Bears have enough depth to have a 10, 11, 12 win season. I just don't see that. I think there's still a good draft class next year away and another free agency period where they then, in 24, 25, now we should be built and ready to go. This year? No, I've got them seven and ten, bad health, six, unbelievable health, eight. That's where I have the bear.
1: Cap, is there a world where, let's say not on Fields' fault, but just the construction of the team as a whole, they are in that Caleb Williams territory, but but Field's numbers are are solid. He looks the part but it's not leading to the type of winning they were expecting this year. Let's say they miss your seven-win total. You mentioned the first-round picks they have at their disposal. Would that still be on the table to look at quarterback, even though maybe it doesn't look like it it's fields that's the problem?
0: Uh, Look, they would love to reset the quarterback contract calendar. <laughs> like Justin's going to be up for a con- And it's not because they don't want to pay right. Justin. If he goes out this year and they win 11 games, and you're like that dude's top 5 in the league they're going to sign him and pay him they don't care they love him he's their guy they they absolutely think he's a great leader but if he if there's gray there like i don't know is he good enough i'm not sure they're going to take Caleb Williams or Drake May or JJ McNamara or JJ McCarthy i think it is or Michael Penix one of those four are the guys right now at the top of the list they can get Caleb Williams yeah, they'll take him if this kid leaves any doubt whatsoever.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: For UCAP, we talked about it earlier with joint practices and how that is the way of the land now, it feels like with teams in terms of yeah, sure. Preseason game number four used to be dress rehearsals, but now these joint practices provide so much value and intel for teams. I know you mentioned worst practice you've seen in in twenty plus years, but is that where everything is put together now in today's NFL? Is your mind in training camp? Is when these joint practices take place, or do you still yourself value the preseason?
0: Uh, I don't value the preseason. I really don't like. I I was arguing with this with my guys on my show today. I would play Justin some. In the preseason this year, five and twenty-five is a starter. Now that's not all his fault. He had a terrible team. But I gotta know, dude, can you read the defense and get the ball out quickly? That was a problem last year. He's not. Tom Brady played in the preseason. He's not Aaron Rodgers. This kid, who if Aaron says I'm not playing, I'll be ready to go opening day. Okay, great. You're going to the Hall of Fame. I get it. <laughs> Justin needs some reps. Am I playing him four quarters? No. Am I playing him all three games? No. But he's going to get some time in week one. And for me, he's going to play half the game in week two. And then we can move on. And people who go, well, what if he gets hurt? He's a football player, man. Guys get hurt. It's, It's sad. It's part of the game. He needs reps to develop. Now, these joint practices, I think they should be really interesting because you're going up against guys who don't play your plays. I was a college basketball coach. It drove me nuts when we're trying to run our offense and the defensive guys, they're on the team. They know the offense. They're playing the play and they're jumping a route and jumping in and stealing a pass for me. It drove me nuts. Guys, please, I know you know the place. Well, against the Colts, <laughs> they don't know the plays. So it should be something to look at. It's not the be-all end-all.
1: David Kaplan was of ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Cap, for the last couple of quarterbacks that took that big leap forward, I'm looking at Jalen Hurts, I'm looking at Josh Allen, you saw at some point in their rookie contract the front office realize we need to go get him a weapon, whether it was Stephon Diggs in Buffalo, whether it was A.J. Brown in Philadelphia. Now the Bears think they have that in D.J. Moore. Is that the expectation in your mind that, okay, now we have him the weapon that he needs, let's go out and see that step forward from him. Maybe not the win. Everybody wants to win. We know that, but we need to see that developmental leap because we have the wide receiver weapon for him now.
0: Uh, I think that they feel like they greatly improved their team by getting DJ Moore, which they did, but their wide receiver room is not top five in the NFL. Now chase Claypool has a lot to prove. Darnell Mooney like him. He's coming back from an ankle injury that required surgery. Like him, he's small. He's not great. He's a good player. So they don't have enough weapons for me. They're not Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown or Tyreek Hill and Jalen Watt. We don't have that. That's not what's, what's going on here. So they've given him a lot of help. Our number one pick, the ninth overall, was Darnell, or tenth overall, was Darnell Wright. And he'll be locked in at right tackle, and everyone believes. He's going to be a really outstanding football player. They still have holes. They still need depth. Defensively, the back seven yesterday dominated practice. So I like their linebackers. I like their corners. I like their safeties. I don't like their defensive line. They got two young kids, a second and a third round pick up front, in Dexter and Pickens. Those guys have to develop. I mean, how many guys come right from college, second and third round picks, and are dominant forces on the D-line? That's rare. That doesn't happen. So it's going to take more time.
1: Cap, last thing before I let you go, I know you're not near the situation, but you've seen enough football to have a a feel on this. Where do you stand on the never-ending debate that we have right now in Indianapolis, which is, does Anthony Richardson start week one or sit week one? I won't bore you with the tea leaves. He's taken first team reps the last two days, but there's been times where Minshew has it. Where do you stand on let the rookie sit a little versus if he has the goods, go put him out there?
0: Like, Joe Burrow had the goods and had been an um, amazing, amazing college player. I don't think that's the case with Anthony Richardson. I don't. I think he's wildly gifted. I was playing blackjack in Vegas first weekend in March, and a guy sits down. can I join you and your wife? Yeah, and we're playing. What do you do for a living? He said, oh, I'm a football coach. I'm just on a little vacation before we get really cranked up with minicamp and the draft and all that. And we start talking football. I said, who's the best quarterback in the draft? He said, it's not close. It's Anthony Richardson. Not even close. Mm. I said, seriously. He said, most gifted prospect I've seen in years. But he said, whoever takes him better not play him at the start. He is not ready to process at that level against those athletes. He said, he's got all the gifts. He needs to be seasoned. So when I hear that from an NFL guy, it's already cements what I already believed. I would not start in week one.
1: Uh, are you a selfish blackjack player, or are you? do you care about the others around you at the table?
0: Um, uh, I try to play only by the rules. I mean, <laughs> like, even when it hurts, and I'm like, oh, God. I'm sitting at 16, dealer's got the 10, and I know there's a 10 under there. Uh, I got to take the hit. I got to do it for the table. So I am not a selfish player. I play the right way
1: expect nothing less from you cap it's always great to catch up i hope to see you soon and really appreciate you making time for me
0: anytime man have a great day jc
1: you too that is the Cap man david kaplan you can follow him on twitter at the capman man and of course if you happen to be outside of eddie's realm that is to say in cubs fandom because eddie of course is a royal uh, loyal reds fan got the word twist up there you can get the recaps every night from David Kaplan, both on YouTube and then, of course, you can hear him 7 to 10 a.m. ESPN 1000, Cap'n Jay Hood in the mornings.